If you're indulging in some poultry pandemic projects, you must check out Sweeter Heater. Sweeter Heater products provide a soft, safe, gentle, infrared radiant heat to your new poultry friends. Sweeter Heater has no hot spots and develops a uniform heat pattern. It's designed to warm the animal, not the environment, and is fully adjustable to maintain the ideal comfort level for your chicks, ducks, or geese. And Sweeter Heater isn't just for poultry. It can be used in whelping areas, kennel runs, farrowing units, dogs and cat houses and crates, and bird and reptile cages. Backed by a three-year warranty and recommended by poultry experts and hatcheries all over the country, you'll feel great about ditching those heat lamps and upgrading with Sweeter Heater. Go to SweeterHeater.com and use code DRINKINFARM in all lowercase to get 15% off one or more heaters. That's SweeterHeater.com with code DRINKANDFARM. Sam. <laughs> hey, Mav. I just got splashed in the face with my beverage. That's all. <laughs> I mean, worse things. Have there happened. could be worse things. Yes. What did you open over there? I opened a Honey Wagon IPA by Moeller Brew Barn, which is in Maria Stein, Ohio. And I want to read the little description for it because that's why I picked it. It says, oh, my gosh, I just freaking spilled it on myself. (laughs) (laughs) We're a mess today. We are such hot messes. (laughs) It's like it's running down my arm, like in the inside of my hoodie. It's awful. (laughs) It's no load of manure. The aromatics of this honey wagon have an eye-opening tropical mango pineapple fruitiness, honey malt sweetness, and juicy hop flavors to round out this refreshing American IPA. Cheers. And it has a chicken or a rooster weather vane on it. So what did you open over there? So I have today a St. Sherry bourbon barrel aged cherry hard cider, which is from the Kinder Cider series from Blake's Hard Cider Company. And uh, I'll read the little thing for mine too. Uh, It says, share the warmth crafted with Michigan grown Mont. Morency cherries. This bourbon barrel aged semi-sweet provides slight tartness up front and smooth finish. With a devotion to kindness, Saint Cherie is made in support of nonprofits clothing those in need and keeping our communities warm. So the kinder series for like Blake's Hard Cider, that's kind of like related to charity type stuff. So mm. I'm a fan of that. It's drinking for a good cause. <laughs> I mean, I'll take any thing that makes me feel good while drinking right yes (laughs) it's not just the alcohol making us feel good it's the kindness that comes with it (laughs) (laughs) and welcome to we drink and we farm things this is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community from hobby farmers to large-scale real deal farmers We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. 
We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain. So hopefully you don't feel so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on non-farming related tangents or make lots and lots of mistakes. But we <laughs> cut all of that stuff, throw it up on the Patreon for you to enjoy. Yes. And you can go to patreon.com slash drink and farm and become a Patreon at just $2 a month to gain access to our Hot Mess Express takes, outtakes. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to describe it. Yes. I just got done listening to the the outtakes from the uh, first Saturday Lime interview we did last week, and they were really good. Like, we had some good little tangents, so definitely go check those out if you haven't already. We also have other levels on Patreon, like a gifty level where you get a gift every couple of months from us. There's a t-shirt level where you get a shirt of the month. Um, there's a Patreon level where you get like a, a an exclusive Patreon peep shirt. So you got to go check it out. It's a lot of fun. Yes. And speaking of the Patreon, our drink peep this episode is our friend Natalie Quist, which is at Cloud Lover Fiber over on the Instagram. So cheers, Natalie. Cheers. Let's just dive right into this episode. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be a lot. It's a lot, but I'm I'm going to take you all on a journey with me that I experienced this past weekend. What a ride it was. <laughs> I feel like my whole life is a funny farm journey. Uh, I can agree with that sentiment very much. Um, yes. <laughs> it's a lot of looking at my animals and going, WTF? Yes. And I definitely had a what the F moment on the farm this past weekend. Um, and I learned some interesting new things along the way. So I wanted to share those with you. It kind of felt like a WTF moment for me because I hadn't seen this happen before. So what it was, was that Diana, one of our goats, her udder looked massive and totally painful. So I freaked out and did some Googling and learned about a couple different things. Now, I will tell you, she is still hanging out with her kids that are a little over four months old. Um, so I was under the impression that she had already weaned them herself or, you know, they were just kind of like slowing down on, you know, going to eat from mommy's Butter bar. Because <laughs> they were just snacking yeah. instead of using it as their main form of nutrition. There you go. Like an appetizer to their grain and alfalfa pellets and, and their hay. So uh, it just kind of caught my eye because it looked huge. So I Googled it. And of course, the first thing that comes up is mastitis. I was going to say the first thing that came up wasn't your goat's going to die. No, <laughs> but it was your goat might be in a lot of pain. And if you don't take care of it, she can get a serious infection and maybe die. <laughs> so I pulled today's uh, article in one of the ones that I did refer to heavily during last weekend from Tennessee Meat Goats by Susan Gasparato. And we've referred to her for a couple of different things. So that's why I was comfortable referring to her um, article for this as well she's basically like our bff now and she just she doesn't, doesn't know, know it, it. yeah <laughs> and if she, i don't know if she would want to be our bff i would hope so but i would hope so too yeah mm. i think we're cool <laughs> <laughs> so this article actually covers mastitis and ketosis but today we're just going to talk about mastitis 
Um, and if you weren't aware, mastitis is essentially an infected udder. And does of all goat breeds can contract mastitis, especially if they're heavy milkers. So since bacteria that can cause mastitis enters the udder through the teats, the cleanliness of the pens and feeding areas can have a significant impact on whether or not mastitis develops in your herd. So it's very important to stay on top of that. Um, Use your first Saturday lime, you know, do spot cleaning. Don't let it get nasty. Um, Do your deep litter method properly if you're doing that too. And fun fact, humans can get mastitis. Yes. Yes. I'm glad I've never experienced that. It sounds horrible. I have not either. And I'm very, very thankful for that. (laughs) Basically, every lactating mammal can get mastitis at some point or another. God, what a bitch. So there is some um, evidence as well that mastitis can be hereditary. But it's fair to say that it is mostly acquired from external sources. So mastitis prevents a lactating doe from providing quality milk for her kids. It can also be bad enough where it prevents her from nursing them at all, which could create a bottle baby situation. And to start identifying if your goat has mastitis or not, you should look for a swollen udder that is hard and hot. And the milk, if there is any, is stringy, spotted with blood, and often unusable. So those are some pretty good signs um, to go off of. So for me, I've never milked any of our goats. I've never milked anything before, which is saying something because my grandparents are dairy farmers, but they have like, you know, the machines. So you never had to go out there and like figure out how to pull on a goat's teats because the machine just did the job. (laughs) Well, and that's how a lot of people milk these days. And it was funny. Like I almost said, yeah, I've never milked anything either, but I guess I can count myself (laughs) since I breastfed my kids. But I used a machine also because people can do that. Could you imagine if you didn't use a machine? Oh, my gosh. It would take for forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, it okay. So Diana also has supernumerary teats, which we'll get in a little bit more of that a little later in the content here. But it's a bitch to milk her. So oh, I, I kind of felt around. Her udder felt warm, but it wasn't, like, super hard. But it was definitely, like, full to the point where it looked uncomfortable. So I was like, well, shit, I should probably think through, like, what I need to do in case this is mastitis to treat her. So mastitis is not responsive to injectable antibiotics. Fun. Those are the best kind of problems to have. No, not really. (laughs) Yeah. And because of this, it's because the medicine cannot get to the udder and the source of infection. Because the udder is interwoven mast of fibrous tissue that is walled off from the rest of the doe's body, which I didn't know until this past weekend. Oh, you know, that might be something to, like, protect the quality of the milk for the kids. Yeah. That you know, like, if sense. she's sick with something else. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, Interesting. And you never want to inject a dose udder with any substance, antibiotic or otherwise, because it'll kill her. So don't try that. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, treatment involves removing the kid from its mother and bottle feeding it. Occasionally, a mild case of mastitis will permit treatment and still allow the kid to nurse, particularly if the infection is only in one teat. Uh, The udder is walled into two parts, each supplying one teat with milk. So milked out 
So you have to milk out the infected udder and infuse each infected teat with an intramammary medication called Two-Day, which is cefepirin sodium. I think I said that right. Um, but it says T, uh, capital T, lowercase O, capital day. Um, and you'll be able to find that like at Tractor Supply. You can Google it so you know what the label looks like so you're not stumbling around trying to find it like I was. Um, there are similar products to that as well. And you do this at least um, two, at least two and preferably up to four to five consecutive days. Uh, two days is this using two days off label for goats. So because goats and, you know, cows, uh, metabolize things differently. That's why it's not going to recommend the proper treatment for a goat on the box of two day. So what you want to do is inject that medication into the teat hole, which sounds like, oh, that would be so terrible to try to do that. I would probably have a vet come and do it for me so I could watch the first time. <laughs> So do you, like, inject it with, like, a needle or just, like, the tip of the syringe? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, yeah. those liquid syringes that just have a little hole? So I didn't opening? have to do this, spoiler, but I assume okay. that it's, like, small enough that you can just stick it in the hole. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to, like, stick the needle into... Okay. Yeah. So you, like, hmm. the teat hole where the milk comes out, you'd stick it in there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which just seems like it wouldn't feel great. I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to do that to me. <laughs> I don't know that my goat would stand still for that. But yeah, I guess that's why I have two adults here. <laughs> right. And that two-day medication um, is $52 at tra my tractor supply. Um, and it does expire. And there's quite a few doses in there. So it might be worth your time to contact your vet to help you out on the first time so you're not screwing it up and spending money on something that might be difficult to manage. So that's just kind of where my headspace was at. Like, maybe I want to loop in the vet if with this being my first go around, if it is mastitis. Yeah, it makes sense. But once that medication is in the udder, you want to mas massage it to move it around as much as possible. Then you can apply bag balm to the outside of the udder for ease in massaging and for the dose comfort. There's also bag balm out there that has peppermint oil in it, um, which is supposed to help kind of cool things down and improve you know, that whole situation. So that might not be a bad thing to have on hand because it looks like from from where I was sitting and where I live, I would have to order that online and get that, you know, either delivered to my house or dropped off at Tractor Supply and I could go pick it up. Mm. This episode is not sponsored by Tractor Supply. It's just where I go for a lot of things. <laughs> we just buy all things from there. And yeah. since they've been doing that curbside pickup thing, that's basically where I'm getting everything now because yeah. I just order online and then it's there waiting for me, which is super convenient. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Utter Balm. So, um... I have a tin of Utter Balm actually sitting here mm -hmm. next to me because it was in our Henny and Rue box yeah. like several months ago. So like they send stuff that is like, you know, not just for chickens. It's usable for so many other things. Right. I personally use this on my feet, but oh. maybe I'll save it for the goats. <laughs> yeah, I was using that when my hands got really dry from all the extra hand washing from COVID-19. My, mm -hmm. I think my hands are a little more used to it now. Um <laughs> And I just don't like how it feels on my hands personally, but I hate lotion as well. So you can use it on yourself. You can use it, you know, on, on a, your animals. I did use it on Diana after I attempted to milk her out as well. Um, Anywho's, 
some it, it's important to note though that some does will run a fever with mastitis but not all um so if she is running a fever you can use fever reducing medication and since it's virtually impossible to kill all the bacteria inside the udder, mastitis is usually chronic, recurring with each kidding. <sighs> and for this reason, this author recommends mastitis being a reason why you call a doe in a meat goat herd. So if you do have that problem and it kind of keeps recurring, it just might be good not to breed that animal anymore. Yeah, that's, I think, what I would end up doing here. They would just become a pet and live out their days, and then I would try again with different goats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. So this is what I ended up doing. We went to Tractor Supply. I got Dr. Naylor mastitis indicators at TSC because they're way cheaper than today. I saw kind of mixed reviews on their reliability, but for $5, I figured it was worth a try. It comes with 30 tests. And there are four testing sites on the card because they're meant for cows. And cows mm. have four teats. Goats have two. Yep. Um, <laughs> but it was super easy to use. Basically, you shoot the milk onto the little card and it turns green if it's not mastitis. And it turns blue um, if it is. Um, I'm happy to report that both of Diana's teats showed negative results. Um, her milk was also not flaky, pus-filled, bloody, or lumpy. And her udder was not hot or red. And she's eating and being a rowdy goat. So I felt like the uh, the indicator was just kind of like validating what I already knew. That it probably wasn't mastitis. Um, so why the heck is her udder so huge? I'm back to the drawing board. Um, I didn't really know. I kind of panicked. And the first thing that I needed to really do was, or I thought, was to milk her out to kind of help relieve some of what I thought looked painful. And like I mentioned, she has super numerary teats, which if you don't know what that is, basically it's extra teats that should not be there. And it makes milking for the first time very interesting and very messy. So if you want to <laughs> learn more about super numerary teats, listen to episode 52, which is titled Suction is Required. We talk about all kinds of weird teats there. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. <laughs> Did we actually have an episode where we just talked about teats? <laughs> we also talked about something else too, because that was when we would tackle like two or three different topics in an episode because we were really enthusiastic. Uh, okay. Yeah, we used to be like <laughs> way, way more go-getters than we are now. <laughs> well, and those episodes would be like an hour and a half. So. Oh, that's true. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and we got some feedback that that might be a little too long, which is why we've we've kind of have more self-control now. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say um, my husband, who is a city boy, didn't grow up on farms. He figured out how to milk Diana before I did, which was a little oh. blow to my ego. <laughs> I think I'm afraid of, and this goes for a lot of animal things at our place, I'm afraid of hurting the animal. So I'm not firm enough a lot of the times with like a needle poke. Or with yeah. milking in this case, because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt them. He's not so much afraid of that, but he doesn't go to the point where he does hurt them, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. And in fact, like I, 
it, it's sort of a what sort I'm looking for. It's kind of like a hesitant reaction. Yeah. You know, like you don't necessarily feel confident mm-hmm. that this is the correct move. And so when you do that, your muscles automatically have you hesitate. But really, like, you got to mean it when you do anything. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't like follow through all the way. So yeah, I could totally see that. And it takes practice to do yeah. that because you need it to be successful before you can really confidently do something. So it's like a catch 22. <laughs> yes. And milking is a learning curve. I will say that. Um, so he got it to like, kind of warm up and go. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, okay, tell me exactly what you're doing and point to what you're talking about. And then I was able to start doing it right away. Um, oh, good. But because she's got, like, two teats on each side that are really close to each other, like, the milk was covering my the inside of my hand. It would sometimes shoot at my vest and not in the <laughs> bucket. Um, it did get not get in my mouth, so that was a win. Um and the like one side was a little better than the other. I couldn't do both at the same time because of how messy it was getting and feeling. Like and I kinda she would tap dance a little bit, so I had to hold the little bucket and do one at a time. Um but I managed to get two cups out of her before we could no longer justify bribing her with grain and sunflower seeds and animal crackers. Um, because I was like, you know, we're going to get put her into like diabetic shock or something. <laughs> with <laughs> Too all the- many snacks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she tolerated me for like 20 minutes, um, trying to figure this out, which was pretty good. Um, it looked like it helped reduce the size of her udder a little bit. She looked a little more comfortable. I also gave her some probiotic paste on an animal cracker since I'm sure that was kind of stressful for her too. Um, And I wasn't sure exactly what was going on with her yet, so I figured that wouldn't hurt anything. With the current state of things, I am so grateful that Grubly Farms offers options to get healthy, farm-fresh grubs and layer feed delivered free to your home. Not only is that super convenient, but Grubbly Farms Grubblies and their layer feed provide a great source of protein thanks to the black soldier fly grubs that make up their products. Black soldier fly grubs help support strong eggshells, beautiful feathers, and your chickens will feel like they're getting a very bougie quarantine snack. Grubbly Farms Grubblies are the official chicken snack of the Drink and Farm podcast. So while you listen to our episode and enjoy a chore beer, throw a Grubblies happy hour for your chickens and make it rain all the Grubblies for your feathered friends. Head on over to grubblyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order. So my next thought process was, now, how the heck do I dry her up? This isn't mastitis. Why is this the first time that it feels like she's kind of had a smaller udder that just kind of progressively got smaller and then didn't balloon back up? So more Googling needed to happen. So there are a few ways you can actually dry up a milk goat. The first one is the way of Mother Nature, uh, which is You know, goats that are used for dairy purposes have kids. Sometimes we remove those kids after birth um, and the the babies are brought up on bottles. Um, So you have the opportunity to milk the dairy goat um, for whatever purposes, for drinking milk, making soap, selling it, what have you. Um, If the doe nurses her kids or kids and isn't hand milk, she'll eventually wean them naturally. Um, which I thought had already happened, and she'll dry up that way. But it turns out that kids that hang out with their mom 
sometimes aren't weaned until they're six months old. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Um, There's also drying a doe up before breeding. Um, This is just more of like an FYI because I kind of knew this before this whole debacle, but I thought it was worth saying. Um, If you want to study supply of milk from your doe, she's going to require annual breeding and kidding. She also needs a period from six to eight weeks with no milk production before kidding. And that time allows her body to recuperate from the previous lactation and her mammary tissue to regenerate. Um, So it's very important to stay on a breeding schedule once you have that to help her kind of stay in a rhythm of producing and getting that break, but not gaining a bunch of weight in between, um, which could cause kidding difficulties. And all sorts of other health issues. (laughs) Yes. So if you need to dry up your dough, not the natural way, um, or if you're trying to dry her up before she kids, uh, this requires a change in diet from her food um, because you want to start giving her food that has less less or little moisture. You're going to stop milking her. She won't be comfortable until her udder dries up, and this process can take up to a week. And although her udder is full and she appears miserable, don't give in and milk her. The temporary relief only prolongs the process, and it's the actual pressure from the full udder that eventually causes her to dry up. So me milking her was probably a no-no. So it's just kind of extending the process. So if anything, it didn't hurt her that badly because I made sure she didn't have mastitis. I'm still monitoring her every day to make sure her udder isn't going in that direction. Um, so really it was like for peace of mind and my own benefit. And now I know how to milk a goat. I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. Um, and it's not necessarily that I even did the wrong thing because once I found out, Oh, this isn't necessary. And it's a pain in the ass to milk her because of her nipples. (laughs) use that as a soundbite yeah (laughs) um you know i made the decision to stop so that it's very natural even when you have been milking her for different purposes lessons learned also if you want to dry a doe up you shouldn't let her go hang out in a lush pasture this can also prolong the process So you want her to hang out in an area that has poor quality vegetation and you can feed her grass hay. Um, And they also recommend instead of allowing water at all times, uh, you can let her drink a bucket of water in the morning, afternoon, and evening, and then take it away afterwards. And you will only need to restrict her water ration for a few days. By that time, she'll start drying up. We're not doing that because she's not hanging out on her own. Um, Yeah. That would be very tough for me to do in my current setup. Well, hopefully she'll just end up drying up on oh, her yeah. own eventually. It might have just been like weird timing, you know, like mm-hmm. you just happened to see it while it was at its worst. Whereas yeah. like when it happens with her last kidding, you know, like there were other things going on or you just ha- didn't, you know, see her udder at that angle. Right. Um, and it's also possible that since this was her second kidding, that her udder like already knew what to do to produce milk. So it like oh. did a way better job. Than it did the first yeah. time and that's why it seems bigger and fuller than it did the first time around totally possible and that information was from a website called animals.mom.me um i forget the name of the actual website 
It's not quite that, but we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, And then also a quick note from fiascofarm.com for weaning kids. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting information that I wanted to share as well. Um, And it says that if if you're letting the mother goat raise and nurse her own kids, there's really no reason for you to have her to help with the weaning process because it can cause undue stress to the kids as well as the mother. Um, and that the mother, the mother will naturally wean her kids when she feels the time is right, or she's just plain sick of them, which I've definitely seen before. It's kind of funny because like they'll be trying to get to mama and she'll just like either kind of kick them off or just run away. <laughs> <laughs> and goats are really good at like running and like tucking. Yes. <laughs> so that like nothing can get to them. Yeah, yes. they're, they're great at that. <laughs> Um, the mother will slowly wean her kids over time and usually totally wean her kids if she's been rebred in the fall. And this is the natural way of doing things. And if you want milk, um, you can milk once a day. Um, if you are going to milk once a day, there's no reason to wean the kids. Though you should keep in mind that the doe should have at least two months off from milking before she kids again. If you're bottle raising the kids, you can wean them around two to three months um, and you can find more information on the website about bottle feeding. Um, and you do that, um, or Fiasco Farms tends to lean towards the three month mark of bottle feeding. And if you're selling the kids, kids are ready to leave for their new homes at two months of age. Weaning is simple in this because the kids have no choice. They're going to their new home and they don't have access to milk anymore. They will be pretty unhappy about this. But they'll get over it fairly quickly. Another reason why I think Diana's just trying to wean her kids is because her kids are screaming nonstop in the barn. Really? They're so mad. And, like, I go out there to look at them, and they're just standing there. Like, there's nothing wrong with them. They're peeing. (laughs) They're pooping. They're just mad that the milk bar is closed. So they're screaming. And I think it's because her udder is still pretty big because it's just been a couple days since I've milked her. So, you know, she's got probably like three or four more days before she might really start shutting down the udder there and drying up. So I think they're just mad. And I've totally seen that before with um, Maya and her kids, like where they'll just get cranky and start screaming for no, no apparent reason. And now I think it was because she was telling them to knock it off. Yeah, she's like, I'm done. Milk bar is closed. You guys go nibble on some grass. Yes. (laughs) So there is my adventure of learning more about things in the goat world and just being a little overly anxious and enthusiastic to help out when, you know what, nature's nature's got its way. You know, it's funny. I sometimes I feel like a terrible animal mom when I realize like something has happened and I didn't notice it. But then other times like I totally get involved when I don't need to. And I think that that's just kind of like the way that it goes. (laughs) Yeah. You just like one day you're too handsy and the next day not. not. There's no there's no happy medium. (laughs) Right. It's it can be tricky, that's for sure. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing all that information about milking and mastitis and stuff. I'm hoping to milk Tonks when she kids. That's my goal because we want to drink the milk 
Um, I haven't actually had a lot of goat's milk, so I'm hoping I like it. <laughs> well, you could always use it for other things, too, if you don't, or you just end up think- finding out it's not your jam, and then yeah. you don't you don't have to. She can raise her own kids, and it'll be fine. That's true. That's exactly my plan. I mean, I like goat cheese, oh. so I'll probably at least do that, and homemade goat cheese is really good. I know how to make like a ton of different kinds of soft cheeses, so... Uh, I'll have that. Yeah, I can't wait until I learn how to milk something. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it was really cool. And once I got in a good rhythm and it was a lot of fun, um, I think I will not, this, this led me to a few conclusions. One, I will not ever purposely breed Diana again. I say purposely because bucks jump fences and shit happens. Um, I know that she can raise kids just fine, but if I ever want to milk a goat, it's going to be Maya because her teats are, you know, meet the standard and they're considered normal. Um, so she looks like she'd be a joy to milk (laughs) compared to (laughs) Diana. Um, and she's pretty laid back too. So I don't, I'm sure she'd do some tap, tap dancing while we're getting used to it, but she'd be a lot easier to deal with. For a couple reasons. I also think too that um, if I do milk Maya, I'd go the once a day route for a couple months. um, Because I too don't know how I would feel about goat's milk. I do have the two cups that I got out of Diana. I just froze it though because I don't have the correct things to do. Straining um, or anything like that. And I think I'm just going to try my hand at some goat soap later. Oh, that's a great idea. Um, Because I think that would be fun to have and maybe even save for gifts for Christmas. I know I'm like planning way in advance, but I should be able to get like nine bars out of what she gave me, if not a little more, depending on which recipe I follow. So I thought that might be kind of fun to see if I like doing that. Um, Because if I hate it, then (laughs) I have less of a reason to milk her. (laughs) (laughs) no that's totally fair (laughs) don't do things you hate exactly exactly i think i could swing like once a day in the evening like as a really good way to wind down at the end of the day because it's kind of like a mindless activity and i've really been enjoying watching wild oaks farm um farmer mandy she's doing milking with mandy in the mornings and like people send her questions and she talks while she milks And I thought that was a really productive use of time to share your knowledge with people while you're doing an activity that once you have the muscle memory down, you can definitely multitask like that. That's super cool. I didn't realize she was doing that. I'm going to go watch that. So I th- I actually did watch one of those on accident, and I didn't realize that that was what I was watching. Because <laughs> I saw that she was answering questions. I was like, oh, how did people submit questions? How did people know she would be answering questions? I clearly missed something. <laughs> yeah. So... If you have any interesting stories about milking your goats or uh, how you've dealt with mastitis in goats before, I don't really want to know how a human has dealt with mastitis within themselves. So we'll say goat specifically or dairy animal. (laughs) There we go. Dairy animal. Yep. Um, You can send us those stories at drinkandfarm@gmail.com. That's something we would love to share on our mini-sodes. You can also dial in and leave us a voicemail. We'll share the phone number at the end of the episode. 
Well, now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. Yes. So, Bev, what can't you even about this week? So, I'm continuing on my theme of, uh, you know, the disruption in the in the food supply chain that we've had. But this is some good news Yay! instead of sadness because <laughs> we need a little more good news. We let's face do. It. And this is a Berks County woman used Facebook to rescue an egg farmer's 80,000 hens amid the coronavirus. So I'm not going to read the article, but I'll link to it in the show notes. Um Henny and Rue shared it yesterday, and that's where I got it from. I clicked on it, and I was like, oh, yay, good news. So (laughs) basically what happened was uh, this farmer was going to have to euthanize his flock because he didn't have anywhere to send the eggs. And um, so it's tricky. Like, farmers can't just suddenly, like, pivot and switch to, like, sending their stuff directly to a grocery store. Because things like eggs, like, they have to be graded, they have to be weighed, they have to be packaged properly. And all of these things have to be washed. All these things have to happen before they can actually go on grocery store shelves. And they just don't have the facilities to do that. And you can't just, like, build that stuff and, like, hire a team to start doing that right off the bat. Lots of rules. There are. (laughs) There are lots of rules when it comes to like our grocery store food. But this woman saw that he was having this problem and she is actually taking his eggs and selling them at the farmer's market for him. So they've like set up a deal. She like goes and picks up all of the eggs and then she sells them. And what she did was, I guess she must have like a pretty decent social media following for her uh, like farm stand. But she told people like, hey, this farmer has eggs from 80,000 hens. These hens are going to have to be euthanized if we can't figure out what to do with these eggs. I'm going to be at this farm market. You can come and buy them. This is how much it costs, you know, like per a dozen or 18 or however she decided to package them up. And cars lined up to come buy these eggs. And I think part of it was because she was just, you know, really honest with people about why she was going to have so many eggs on it. She's like, look, if you come buy these eggs, we can like help save these chickens. And people were all over it. That's awesome. Yeah, I just I loved that. And I am going to try to continue to find stories like this to share because it's good for us to just look out for opportunities like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I probably can't help in like a profound way like this, but something small, like if if someone down the street from me had said that story, even though I have eggs, I'd probably go pick some up and then just like, you know, go drop them off to somebody that I knew needed more eggs just to like have a good small like peace in that goodness happening in the world i don't know yeah i liked this it was taking a problem and solving it yeah for sure teamwork makes the dream work (laughs) it sure does and it's important to realize that our team is more than just like the people we actually know and interact with on a regular basis like you can team up with anybody to help make the dream work which is super cool yes (laughs) i like it so what's your can't even this week? I saw a peek at it and I was like, I knew that all of this was bullshit. was janky. Bullshit. <laughs> okay. So my, I'm going to shit all over everybody's parade. Actually, uh, you know what? It's National Geographic shitting all over everybody's parade. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm the messenger. <laughs> so the title is fake animal news abounds on social media as coronavirus upends life. So I'll read a little bit of this. 
<laughs> Scattered amid a relentless barrage of news about COVID-19 cases, surges, quarantine orders, and medical supply shortages on Twitter this week, some happy stories soften the blows. Swans had returned to the deserted Venetian canals, dolphins too, and a group of elephants had sauntered through a village in Yunnan, China, gotten drunk <laughs> off corn wine and passed out in a tea garden, which Bev shared as a can even a few weeks ago. Yes, I was totally tricked. <laughs> yes. These reports of wildlife triumphs in countries hard hit by the novel coronavirus got hundreds of thousands of retweets. They went viral on Instagram Instagram and TikTok, and they made news headlines. If there's a silver lining of the pandemic, people said, this is it. Animals are bouncing back, running wild, free in a humanless world. But it wasn't real. None of it's real. The swans in the viral post regularly appear in the canals of Burano, a small island in the greater Venice metropolitan area where the photo was taken. The Venetian dolphins were filmed at a port in Sardinia in the Mediterranean Sea, hundreds of miles away. No one has figured out where the drunken elephant photos came from, but a Chinese news report debunked the viral post. While elephants did recently come through the village of Yunnan, province china their present isn't out of the norm there aren't they aren't the elephants in the viral photos and they didn't get drunk and pass out in a tea field hmm. <sighs> the phenomenon highlights how quickly eye-popping too good to be true rumors can spread in times of crisis people are compared to share posts that make them emotional when you're feeling stressed joyous animal footage can be an irresistible salve the spread of social phenomenon is so powerful, 2016 research shows that it can follow same models that trace the contagion of epidemics. Oh. So I won't read the rest of the story, but you guys can check that out. Um, and, you know, I think there are some good fun things happening by us all just staying home, like, you know, the smog is cleared up in L.A. The Venice canals are a little clearer. There are good things happening. But and, and sometimes kind of going back to the whole Tiger King thing and Bev telling me, you know, she probably didn't do it because they're looking at the facts. It's more fun to like live in fantasy sometimes <laughs> and not really dig into <laughs> things, especially when there's like chaos happening. Um, so I totally get how this stuff went viral, but was not true. Well, and it's funny, too, because I think that, like, when you share stuff like that, you think that it's, like, in harmless fun. Mm. And, now, and now I feel terrible for, like, sharing the oh, no. elephant thing because I was totally tricked by it. But what happens is, like, so the thing about the whole uh, dolphins returning to the Venice Canal, it gives people the impression that maybe we're better off like having to stay home permanently, like the earth is healing, we're better off, we're the virus and all of that. And that's but dangerous. That's, that yeah, it's dangerous. absolutely dangerous. Yeah, that is not that is not the attitude to have from this. One of the things that I've been thinking about for myself is like, okay, so some good things have happened. Lots of uh -huh. bad things have happened, but some good things have happened. Well, what good things or what behaviors can I continue to have uh -huh. that allow those good things to continue right. to, to go on? Not not calling us the virus and the problem and we should all just, you know, stay home for forever and never eat at a restaurant again. Because I don't think that's the answer. <laughs> oh, and it's not going to happen. Hashtag America. 
uh, <laughs> but like even even within yourself, like emotionally, what is working for you right now that should carry on? What boundaries are you setting for yourself, maybe with work or relationships that need to continue after this, after we go back to normal? I refuse to still call this the new normal. I'm not doing that. That's just a personal <laughs> preference. Um, I refuse to call it that. Um, but when things go back to, you know, when you can be out and about, you know, what can you do that kind of decreases your, your footprint on the earth? Um, I know for us, Bev, like we're lucky enough to work from home most of the time, but for people that do have to commute a lot, maybe, maybe it can look different if you're feeling like you want to continue impacting the world in that way. Or maybe you're workplace will have found that teleworking was yeah. a good thing for them. So you get to telework a few days a week and drive into the office the other few days a week. Like it'll be really interesting to see like how our daily lives end up evolving after this. Like cuz I do think that some of the differences will stick around. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I don't like calling this the new normal either cuz I don't think that there's anything that can be called normal about millions of people being out of work. Yeah. And, this is not normal. And people dying <laughs> from a pandemic. Like I don't want to call that a new normal and I don't want that to be a new normal, so I'm with you on that. But I am looking forward to thinking of like well, what will eventually be like a new normal where people can still like thrive and prosper yeah. and, and and live fulfilling lives because like we're just not there yet because there's still millions of people out of work lots of issues with people getting enough food you know farms are having issues you know taking care of the things that they've raised and grown so we're not in a new normal yet or anything that maybe I maybe we'll call, call it like rebaselining <laughs> Rebase. That's a good word for it. That's a very technical word. That's a for word it. that I have to use at work all the time. So I like it. It just popped in my head that it's kind of like we're rebaselining. Okay, where can we pick up where we left off? What might have to get pushed out a little bit? And what could we just do away with that wasn't necessarily in the first place? Like I going like into it. the office five days a week. Maybe you just go in like two, kind of like I did before they made us 100% remote. So, yeah. It's a good way to look at it. I try. I do like how our can't evens kind of give us an opportunity to talk about like how we're thinking and feeling through this whole thing because I think it's important. I hope that our conversations have helped other people realize that like their anxieties and worries are normal and some of the like uncertainty or the way they're like not really sure how to think about something is normal. So Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed our little like strange corner yeah of this is what's happening right now to everybody <laughs> i think too i'm finally like thriving i feel like i'm thriving in quarantine now because i figured it out how to like manage my time in a way that makes me feel good and productive and not upset all the time um i don't think it's complacency i think it's just that i figured out how to make it work for myself I know where to go for stores where I feel comfortable with how I feel about things and and the rules that are kind of enforced there. I know where to go to take care of that. I know how to mentally prepare myself to go into stores that are a little trickier to navigate right now because of the social distancing rules because that really stressed me out at first. Um, oh yeah, when you have to walk through aisles the opposite way so that you used to, and you're like, awkward. oh my gosh, yeah. And then no, some people are breaking the rules, some are following them, oh. some of them, some people give you nasty looks if you get like 
you know, five feet and 11 inches away from them. And it's like, really? Oh, my God. (laughs) We're both wearing masks because we're forced to right now. Get over it. We'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and uh, so uh, someone on another podcast, I can't remember who it was, they mentioned that the way that everybody feels at a store right now is how they always felt at a store. And that just like really hit home with me because that's what shopping is always Mm -hmm. like for me. Like, I I wish I could describe it more clearly, but shopping and going out and doing like those things and having like a set like things that I'm supposed to pick up and an order in which I'm supposed to do things all of those always caused me lots of anxiety mm. so now like all of this extra stuff thrown into it like I haven't even done it I, yeah it's hard yeah yeah I didn't even bother trying I can't I like I like oh my gosh talking about it is making me like shallow breathe oh no <laughs> That's why I don't like Black Friday shopping because being in big crowds gives me a lot of anxiety because other people can't monitor themselves in a way that I would monitor myself. Um, Even like big concerts and things like that, I have to mentally prepare to go into that situation because people aren't paying attention and it pisses me off. It's like my own (laughs) irritation. Like really they're not doing anything wrong. I'm just hyper aware because of my anxiety of how I'm acting. And when other people don't rise to that standard, it's hard for me not to get irrationally mad. Um, But I don't think it's appropriate to think that people need to function at that level because I don't think that's even necessarily healthy for me to be functioning at that level. Um, (laughs) So it's the same thing when I go into a busy store or a store that has extra rules right now. I already feel like I have enough to worry about. So now you're telling me I have to go down an aisle a certain way? Okay, well, this MRFer isn't following the rules, and they're wearing a mask, and I'm not. (laughs) And they're giving me a nasty look, but they're going down the aisle the wrong way. So it's like this extra, like, anxiety thought process that I just, I don't like. So I've, like, figured out, like, when to go to the store, how to tackle it, if I should just do pickup instead, like... I think that's why I feel like I'm hitting my stride because I figured out how to deal with a cluster F of right now. Well, and figuring out like what your new rules are for yourself is like definitely step one in that. Like that was going to be a requirement to like, you know, continue to move forward. So I think that's super awesome that you figured it out. I'm sure trying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Be sure and send us your can't evens. Uh, you can give them to us in our Facebook group. Send us via Facebook Messenger, Instagram. Email them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com or you can call them in. We'll give you that phone number later. Uh, and let us know what you can't even about. And, you know, if you've got anything, you know, like coronavirus or or you know, related to this pandemic and social distancing or anything that you want to talk about and you want us to read, go ahead and share that too with us. We'd be happy to share like how other people are handling this and doing with it as well. Yes. And be sure to leave us a review. We will read our favorite Apple podcast review every week and you can leave us an Apple podcast review um, via your laptop down by downloading iTunes if you don't have an Apple product. We read all the reviews and we put their your name in a drawing and we draw the name out and the person wins an exclusive coffee mug that is not and never will be in the shop. So make sure you go leave us a review and leave some kind of like Instagram handle or something where we can get a hold of you if you do win. 
So this week's review is from Fox Family Farm, and the title is Real Talk About Real Stuff. I was looking for podcasts that can help me be the best duckling mama. I came across this podcast and fell in love. My husband brews his own beer, so I was intrigued, and I love how the ladies are so down to earth and are honest about what farming slash homesteading is all about. I'm learning a lot about having a farm for the future with a lighthearted talk that I can connect to as a busy working mom. I feel like I'm sitting down having a drink with the girls every time I listen, and I'm inspired and relaxed. Thank you for this piece of heaven during the pandemic. Oh, thanks so much for that review. It's such a good one. And that's from Fox Family Farm. And she left us that review via Apple Podcasts. And she's from America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that we collect these through a, a website called Chartable, which means that it aggregates all of the reviews from all the different countries. So we will ship internationally. Um, so don't be afraid to leave us a review if you're not in the United States. Yes. And we appreciate all of the reviews. Oh, they were in my heart during a pandemic, too. Me. <laughs> and too. outside of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. A few things for housekeeping and announcements. Great news. Coop Camp 2020 has been rescheduled to August 7th through 9th. And it's just outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, you can use code drink and farm and that's, and is an and percent, um, and you'll get $25 off your ticket and we're planning on being there. So you should be too. And don't forget that drink and farm has a phone number. It's 401-426-3276, which is 401-426-FARM. Uh, feel free to save that in your cell phone and just call us and talk at us anytime you want us to put something on the mini-sode. Yeah. <laughs> we'll totally do it. <laughs> and you can text that number, too. Um, if you've got any questions, we'll be happy to answer them. Uh, or if you just want to tell us a story, we'd love to hear it. And make sure you hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen because this helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag us at Drink and Farm. It's super important that you tag us so that we see it. And we'll send you a promo code just for that episode that'll give you a percentage off in the shop. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to the articles we discussed today, a survey that allows you to tell us how we're doing and remain anonymous, all of our social media goodness, and our merch shops. So that's it, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thanks. And until next time, drink, farm, and and give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things.